and welcome to A Sober Girls Podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out. I'm your host, Sherry, and I've been through my own ups and downs with sobriety. And if you're listening to this, then you have taken the first step to making a change in your life and finding a community to help you through your sobriety. Now, let's go through this journey together. What's up, fam? Happy Wednesday. I hope that you had an awesome weekend and a great start to your week. It is 95 bajillion million degrees out here um, in Richmond, Virginia, in the south. That's the northernmost point of the south, as we like to call it. And um, it's miserable. I am not going to lie. But you guys, I am on cloud nine right now. Um, It's going to sound ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, but it's baseball, okay? Like, Scott, <laughs> he's so emotional. Um, So my friend's husband... um plays for the Twins, and he was sent down to AAA. We have a lot of really good prospects, and I'm really happy that we at least kept him, and the prospects got some really good opportunities to play, um, and they're still on the team, you know. Um, But Jake got called up back to the Twins today, so that just makes me so happy. He's my favorite player. He's a workhorse. He's obviously no Carlos Carrera or Mike Trout or Byron Buxton, but I don't care. He is Jake Cave, and that is enough for me. And I'm so proud of him and so happy for him. He's been working his ass off. So this is, like, just something I wanted to share with you guys. Um, Baseball means a lot to me. The Minnesota Twins have been making just stupid trades all day long. And it's been just amazing to watch. So... I just wanted to share my happiness with you and everything else. And before we get into the episode, um, thank you for dealing with me. Thank you for dealing with all my crazy and just kind of some of my weirdness. But um, one thing that I was going to talk about um, was, you know, what does sobriety give us? Um, What does it bring us in our life that we wouldn't have had the opportunity to have before if we were still in active addiction. And I also really realized that another part for me of sobriety is the phrase, it works if you work it. And I have been over the past, can you guys believe almost a year we have been together? A year we have been together. I should have 52 episodes almost, but I don't, and I'm so sorry. Um, But it works if you work it, right? And there are so many things that get in the way of our sobriety. There are so many things that get in the way of doing the next right thing. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about how it works if you work it, Um, How if you continue to go to meetings and meeting makers make it, you know, these are things that are staples of the program. They are the things that get us through. So without further ado, let's get into it. So what is it works if you work it, it won't if you don't? Well, it's exactly that. If you work the program, everything in your life that you've been wanting or desiring or needing will work out. It doesn't always mean you're going to get what you want, but you are going to get what you need. And so what does working it look like? Well, working it looks like, for me, um, having to get up and go to meetings 
that is absolutely a part of it works if you work it because there are so many times that I get into my head and I can't see straight or think straight and I've got the little hamsters up there in the wheel and some of the hamsters are dead and they're falling over each other and some of the hamsters have ADD and some of them are on crack and my brain is just going 100 miles a minute and I will absolutely just cave in on myself if um, I allow myself to. I have a friend, a new friend of mine, who I just met actually through baseball and um, she had something happen a couple of weeks ago and before the incident, she and I were vibing really, really well. We have a lot in common. She's just amazing. And... Um, she had something happen a couple of weekends ago, and talking to her has been hit and miss. I've kind of given her her space, been there when she needed me, um, let her get through her emotions the way that she needs to. And there have been times throughout the past two weeks where I've really thought to myself, oh man, like... Maybe she really doesn't want to be friends with me. Maybe I'm too old for her. I'm too weird for her. I'm not, you know, her type of person. You know, I really took everything that was going on and I allowed it to consume me. I allowed the concern and fear of abandonment turn inwards. And I really found that going to meetings or reaching out to people, talking to people in the program, reminded me that we all deal with stress and trauma differently. And while some of us probably want to reach out, not everybody understands the program of AA. So if they don't need it, don't have it, you know, those are just things that they don't need or need to have in their life, um, they're not going to understand that they can reach out or, you know, sucking back into a depressive state can be unhealthy for them. And I am really proud of her. She's actually doing really well. And I do wish she would reach out a little bit more, but at the same time, I'm giving her her space. So what do I do on the other end of it? Instead of being threatened by her silence, which if I sit there and think on it and allow myself to second guess everything about myself, that's exactly what will happen. And I will begin to resent her and have anger and fears that no one can really quell. And that's just on my alcoholic thinking, my fear of abandonment, my trauma that I've been through. So going to a meeting and hearing other people say, it's so important to get out of your head. It's so important to make sure that you reach out to people if you're struggling with something. To hear someone else say, hey, I've been there. To hear someone else's story of, you know, if I would have just sat there and let myself think I would not have had the opportunity to really understand what that other person was going through. So when we go to meetings, we hear our stories and other people, and it makes us feel less alone. That is one huge thing for me 
And one reason why I truly did suffer a lot when I wasn't going to meetings, when I was, even, even if they were on Zoom, right? My pastor talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Even if they were online or attending church online, you know, there is something completely conceptually different about attending something online and doing something in person, right? So when we do things online, sure, we attend, we do the bare minimum, but then when we go in person, we get that community, we get that connection, we feel less alone. You see other, we hear and see other people saying, yes, I've dealt with that, yes, I have been there. Yes, I know exactly how that feels, and we feel less alone. When we get outside of ourselves and we go to meetings and we reach out our hand and we ask how someone else is doing, that's how we are working the program to keep ourselves sober. What is another portion of it works if you work it? Um, I think for me, the biggest, second most biggest... <laughs> It's obviously the English language. Oh, my God. Um, the second one for me is definitely pride and humility. Um, I learned a long time ago that pride kept me drunk. My unwillingness to ask for help, my fear of imperfection, my past, my trauma, didn't really allow me to grow. And... They tell you basically right away when you start meetings that pride definitely will keep you drunk. And it even talks about it um, in the big book multiple times. In the 12 by 12, if you haven't read that yet, and when I say 12 by 12, it means 12 steps and 12 traditions. Um, it talks about, you know, how we are bothered by so many different things when we're you know at step five we now to we need to be able to rid ourselves and tell someone of our character defects right and so it says in here that our anger and our hurt pride might be the smoke screen under which we are hiding some of our defects while we blamed others for them possibly too we are still handicapped by many liabilities great and small we never knew we had and pride keeps us from asking for help. And because I refused to ask for help, for help, I committed so many felonies of which I was never um, caught for. You know, I stole from my mom. Um, I definitely drove drunk. I left my son alone. There are so many things that I did that were shameful and prideful um, because I was just too afraid to ask for help. And it still bothers me a little bit to ask for help because nobody wants to admit that they're a screw-up, right? Like right now, financially, I had to admit that I have a spending problem. And we've talked about that a little bit on the podcast about how we supplement things um, when we're hurt or when we're sad or angry we supplement things for, um, you know, alcohol. And so I recently had to realize that I have to ask for help with my finances. And I did. I reached out 
and I asked for help with my finances and I'm doing much better with it now. It's less stress. It sucks a little bit being broke, you know, but the best part about putting my pride aside and thinking that I could do it on my own was being able to have the ability to manage my money better, which allows me to do more things with my family. And yes, I'm still in debt, but now I can manage things a little bit better and I can be responsible for myself, which is a huge, huge thing. Being a responsible adult as an addict is a huge step in the right direction. And it's taken me 12 years to get here, you know, because if it's not one thing that I'm stubborn or prideful on, it's definitely another. And I have no problem asking for help in a lot of different situations because there's so many things that we don't understand, right? Or if we're in the middle of fixing something or if we're in the middle of writing something, we do need direction, we do need assistance and that's okay. Um, it's not a bad thing to need assistance. Um, if you're not paying attention and your behaviors don't change, you know, then that does become an issue. So, and like it did for me, it became an issue. And so I've had to set my pride aside so many times and just say, hey, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And if it weren't for the program of AA, if it weren't for learning about the humility aspect of being sober, you know, when you act like a jackass for so long, um, you can look back on it and go, oh my God, like your humility will set in really, really quick. You get humble very quickly. And if it weren't for this program, I wouldn't learn humility. I wouldn't have learned proper humbleness and how to set my pride aside and help others, help myself, ask for help. You know, that's one of the biggest things that a friend of mine and I were talking today. I asked him, I said, why don't you men ask for help? And he told me that he will tell his, he told me that he will walk around a store for an hour and a half before he will ask for help. And it drives his wife nuts. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand why asking for help is so hard. And I do because I have been there, right? I have been there with so many things. But now because of AA, I'm able to actually go, okay, stop. I need help. And I think what gets me to that point is because I do work this program, because I do stay in contact with my sponsor, because I do go to the meetings and because I am sober, I have these emotions and these feelings and I am able to stay sober um, and I am able to feel things. And now I have a conscience and I have a Jiminy Cricket somewhere, you know, and the Jiminy Cricket is saying to me, you know, that's that's not really smart or, you know, you really shouldn't do it that way. There's always something in the back of my mind or on my shoulder, or, you know, wherever I am, that says, you know what, this is really not a good idea. And I have that gut feeling, and I'm able to actually follow that gut feeling and go, mm, I really shouldn't do that. There's so many things in my sobriety that I've had gut feelings on, and I've been like, oh, no big deal. 
oh, that person, I have a gut feeling about them, but I'm going to move forward with this friendship because I'm just so needy and I feel alone and scared and like I have nothing and no one. So I make this friendship and it ends up being a really bad friendship because I didn't follow my gut, because I didn't listen to what my program has told me. And there are things of which in my life that I am very ambitious and I won't use people, but I admittedly will say, hey, listen, I'm trying to get to this next part in my career. And I do believe that you could help me out with that. And if you'd be willing, I would love to take some of your time and just talk to you about how um, you got to where you are. Maybe you could help me with some contacts. And if they say no, then what's what's the worst thing? No. So then I just have to work harder at my craft. And that is very hard in baseball journalism. Um, but at the same time, every time I do get somewhere working hard on my own and not ignoring my gut feeling and just trying to be friends with someone to either get ahead or feel like I fit in, that feeling of accomplishment is so much greater. And I really don't need anyone else but myself. Now, I definitely will tell you that community is very important. Isolation is not a good idea. So when I say I don't need anybody else but myself, what I'm saying is I have the power, the wherewithal, and the humility to work on something for myself without needing anybody else as a stepping stool to get there. And there will be people that you will have to make contacts with no matter what you do in your life. But the ability to do those things on your own instead of, you know, sneaking your way to the top or sleeping your way to the top or using people on the way to the top. There's so many different opportunities for growth in your personal and professional life that if you just set your pride aside, if you just set aside that, you know, feeling of, oh, I've got to do it this way, so many more things will come to you in a natural manner. And I think that is so much more rewarding in the end than in the back of your mind knowing that you had to use someone to get to where you are. Um, that is that is definitely something that I have been more proud of lately and something that means a lot to me, actually. It makes me work a lot harder. Another thing that helps me in the program is willingness. Willingness is what not got me here, right? It didn't get me to the first meeting. I, I wasn't there's willingness and there's ready, right? So I was willing to give it a shot. And luckily for me, by the time I got to my first meeting, I was ready. There are so many people that are not ready. They're willing, but they're not ready. And that's okay. But being willing is so important because... Once you are willing to do something, that means you're allowing other information in, right? If there's something you don't want to hear, you're not going to want to hear it because you're not willing. You don't want to hear what someone else has to say. And how many times did you have to 
hear that you had a drinking problem or an addiction problem or any other kind of issue, how many times did you have to hear that you were a this or a that before you were willing to even hear it, let alone even ready to change it, right? So I definitely think that willingness has been a huge part of it for me because being willing means you're allowing that other information in and you're allowing people to help guide you and change you and mold you and help you to find yourself and who you are. Willingness occurs, the word itself, 11 times in the big book. Right away in the beginning, too, on page 12, it says here, I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. All you have to do is be willing to believe that there is something out there that can help you, that can restore you to sanity. That willingness to learn allows you to break free of that bondage and give it to someone else. On page 13, it, continu it continues. Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty and humility to establish the new order of things were the essential requirements. So as soon as we are able to go, okay, I am willing to do these things, it will bring us to the point where we can work with others hear what others have to say, and then eventually be ready. That's why there are steps, you guys. We can't just get sober and then go talk to someone and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be a dickhead. No, that's not, that's not how that works. You don't go into working the steps with just a, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, yep, I'm an alcoholic. I'm sorry and hope everything works out well. There are steps for a reason. And now I understand that in the big book, it states that this is a suggestion, right? This whole book is a suggestion of recovery, but it states Right away in chapter five, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. So that to me says a lot. It talks about without help, without someone else's care, without someone else holding our hand, it is too much for us. So if we are willing to have that talk, if we are willing to admit we are powerless over alcohol, if we are willing to admit that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, if we can be willing to make a decision to turn our lives and our will over to the care of God, we are willing to do those things to grow along spiritual lines. And it even states Again, in the steps, being willing to make direct amends. You have to be willing to be in this program. And I found that the more that I fought the program, 
the more that I fought my willingness and my conscience and my humility and my pride, all these things, right? The more I fought them, the more miserable I got. And it became a point of contention for me. I was so miserable in my sobriety because I just could not handle being the one who didn't have any control. I didn't like not having control. I didn't like knowing that I had to trust an intangible program and an intangible God. But the more that I worked the program, the more that I stayed sober, the more that I did the things that the big book suggests, that the 12 by 12 suggests, that um, as Joe sees it, as, as soon as I started doing all these suggestions that they claim, they're just suggestions, they're not rules, they're not orders, they're not things you must complete to be sober, they are suggestions. But as soon as I started following the suggestions of the program, I quickly realized that those intangible things became tangible, okay? I... I quickly realized that when I do step 10, I continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admit it. When I do that, the tangibility in my life comes back in a hug, um, a handshake, um, a source of verbal forgiveness. When we do these things that are suggested in order to be sober that they do become tangible money becomes tangible when I do the next right thing things become tangible and doing the next right thing comes from being humble it comes from asking for help it comes from willingness doing all of these things come from just certain tiny little things that make everything so much better. It makes everything that we have fought through and struggled through so much easier. And I know it's hard to hear it. I know it's hard to say, well, God, I screwed up again. That's okay. Progress, not perfection, okay? A lot of us at this point in our drinking and our sobriety, we don't have 401ks. We don't have a lifetime of savings built up because what have we been doing with it? We've been spending it on drugs and alcohol, um, some, you know, prostitutes. Um, we've been spending it on cigarettes and, you know, parties and, you know, just flouncy shopping. It's because we don't have that self-confidence in ourselves. We don't have that feeling of, Security. We don't have that feeling of fullness and love. And so we try and replace it with all these things. And those things cost money, money that you'll never get back. But you do have the opportunity to save again. You might start out coming out of jail and having to work at McDonald's. Babe, that's okay. That's okay. I like my Diet Coke and my fries. I will come and get it from you. That's okay. 
Just because you work at McDonald's does not mean you're doing sobriety wrong. It doesn't mean that in 20 years you won't have a half a million dollar house. It doesn't mean that you won't have peace and serenity. It simply means that you just got out of jail and you need a job because you need something to be accountable for. You need something to start out at the bottom. Okay? And that's okay because this is about progress, right? So we're going to have to start over at some point. Starting over is never easy, but I promise you, the book promises you that these things do materialize if you work for them. So what things do you want to materialize in your life? Do you want love? Do you want happiness, serenity? Do you want money? Do you want children? Do you want a relationship with your children back? Do you want to own 85 llamas? Do you want a ton of purses? Do you want to be a season ticket holder to a sporting event? All these things can materialize if you work for them, but you have to be willing. You have to be willing to put aside your pride. You have to be willing to be humble. You have to be willing to hear what others have to say. And you have to be willing to go to meetings because if you're not going to meetings, if you're not doing the things that are suggested, it is going to be an uphill battle. Because in those rooms are hundreds of years of experience of people who can tell you, yes, I have been there. Yes, I have been through that. And you know what? I am going to help you get to where you need to be. I am just absolutely so proud of you for even showing up today. And if you show up tomorrow, I'll be proud of you tomorrow. And if you step back out and you come back in, I'll be proud of you when you come back in. There is no perfect way to do this. But there is a way to work it so that it works for you. And I will be here to hold your hand, to cheer you on, to help you get a job at McDonald's. I will be here when you're ready to fill out that application for a CEO position. I don't care. I will be proud of you and hold your hand no matter what because we are in this together. And my willingness to stay sober, my willingness to do the next right thing has definitely helped me and put me in a position to help you. And even if you're just sober curious and you are just listening to this podcast to figure out where you're at in your life, I'm proud of you for doing that too. If you need anything, reach out to me. Instagram, email, Facebook, you can get a hold of me at any of those places. Um, my attitude of gratitude for today is um, definitely my friend's husband getting a chance to come back up and play in the major leagues because I'm happy for him because he's been working really hard. Um, and my attitude of gratitude is also for just amazing friends and community. I have put myself into such bad, toxic situations, and I'm just so happy that I don't have surface-level friendships anymore. I have deep friendships that allow me to grow and be myself. So I hope that you have a good rest of your week and a good weekend. Stay cool if you're on the East Coast because it's on fire. And... Um, I will definitely see you guys next week. Until next time, fam, be well. Thank you for joining us on a Sober Girls podcast, where we get together to talk about each other's experience, strength, and hope.
I hope that today's episode was something that you needed to hear today, something that you can carry with you. I really look forward to our time together. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at a sober girls pod. Also, you can check us out on Twitter at a sober girls pod and our website at a sober girls podcast.podbean.com. Till next time, be well, fam.